Hey, what's up? My name is Stephen, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. All right, so let's jump in. Week seven, seven weeks of they devoted themselves Acts chapter 2, you know we're going there. If this is home for you, we're going to read a few passages of Scripture there, which you guys by now are going to have memorized. If not, you will next week because it's, it's it. It's it. Um, last message in the series. All right, it says this, verse 42. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper. And to prayer. And it says, a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and their possessions, and they shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, and they met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship, not weekly, monthly, but how? Daily. Every day, the Lord added to the fellowship those who were being Saved. So this wasn't transfer church growth. These are new believers that are coming into a relationship with Christ and, and accepting him as their Messiah, as their Savior. And so I want to encourage you, if you're just jumping in, go back and listen to our previous uh, messages on our podcast. But last week, we've, we've talked about miracles and all the miraculous signs that all the apostles saw and the church saw. But we also see something else happening in tandem with these miracles. And we see the church experiencing some, some suffering and some pain. And so we're going to go to Acts chapter 5, but let's start in Acts chapter 3, where we see this man that's healed at the temple in Jesus' name. And the apostles who healed this man in Jesus' name, not him, but the power of Christ in them, heals this man. You think the religious leaders would be escalated, would be excited that a miracle has been performed, but they are the exact opposite. They're jealous. They're questioning, how is this happening? And so they bring the apostles in before the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they're questioning them, and how could this be? And, and, and they're correcting them on, this shouldn't be happening. You are going against our religion, our faith. And pretty much they give them a slap on the hand and say, stop preaching about Jesus. And their response is, we cannot stop preaching about everything that we have seen and heard. We've been witnesses to that. So they let them go. And guess what they do? They go back out and they start preaching again. And guess what the religious leaders do? They go back out and arrest the apostles and bring them back to prison again. And guess what? The apostles get out and what do they do? 
they arrest them and bring them again. And so all the religious leaders are trying to figure out what do we do? Do we execute them? Do we, do we, do we beat them? Do we imprison them? Do we shut them up? And one religious guy is like, listen, I've seen this before. People come and go. They have all these great ideas and they have all these, these followers and it, after a while, it just kind of dwindles away. So, so here's what we can do. We can just leave them alone and they will take care of themselves and people will forget about it. Or it could be that this is of God and you could be fighting against God. And so they agree with that, but they still decide that they're gonna punish the apostles. And so what they do in verse um, 40, we see this happening. In Acts chapter five, verse 40, it says, so they called in the apostles and had them flogged not clogged, they weren't dancing, right? So they had them flogged. Then they ordered them never to speak again in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. The apostles, in verse 41, said they left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. And so they've been brought before the court. Before they are released, they are flogged. And their response to the flogging is rejoicing. Now, I grew up in an era and a time where parents still whipped their kids. And there are spankings and then there are whoopings. And there's a difference between a spanking and a whooping. You guys know what I'm talking about. Like, like my mom, I love her, but she spanked. And there were times when she spanked that I almost had to hold back a chuckle, but I pretended to cry just to honor my mom because scripture says, honor your mother and father so that your life may be long on the earth. So, but, then, but then when dad would get home, I would get a whooping. And the whoopings were different. The whoopings hurt. And I never left a whooping rejoicing. I left embarrassed, I left crying, I left like, I wasn't like on the third lick from dad, like, dad, could you just give me two more? This is great, let's just keep them coming. No, like I wanted to stop. But what's odd is when we read the apostles after they've been flogged, which is the equivalent of a whooping, except probably way worse, they didn't leave in tears, they didn't leave bitter. They didn't leave mouthing under their breath. Come on. Like when they left, how? What were they doing? Rejoicing. They were rejoicing. And here's what I, what I know when we're looking in scripture. When Jesus is spending time with his disciples, teaching them and they're walking with him, he's preparing them for this moment. They just don't know that this moment is in their future that when we read in the book of Matthew and in the book of Luke, when Jesus is giving them the Beatitudes, which is the attitudes that he's wanting his disciples to have as they're walking this life of faith with him, he talks about blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who are talked about. And really, I like the way Luke mentions it as he's describing the Beatitudes. He says this in Luke chapter six, verse, verse 22. He says this, ready? He says, what a blessing await you when people hate you. How awesome it's gonna be when people hate you. What a blessing when they exclude you, when they leave you out, when they make fun of you and mock you, when they curse you and say that you are evil because you follow the son of man. They're saying, how awesome is it gonna be that they talk about you because you follow me? When that happens, be happy. 
Don't worry. He says, leap for joy. Leap for joy for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, their ancestors treated the prophets the same way. And he's saying, look, you're going to be mocked. You're going to be made fun of. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be hated. And consider that a blessing. I don't want that blessing. Anybody else? Like, I want all the other ones, but can we leave that one out? He says, leap for joy. It's an exciting thing when that happens to you. And so he even says multiple times, like there's one point where um, James and John's mom comes to Jesus and asks for his sons, for her sons to have a promotion. Like it's one thing for you to ask for a promotion, but it's another when mom gets involved. It's like, hey, Jesus, when you sit on your place of authority, can my son sit on the right and the left places of authority? He says, you don't know what you're asking. Like I'm gonna have to suffer. Are they gonna be able to suffer? And so this whole time, Jesus is teaching his disciples that you're gonna be persecuted, you're gonna be hated, and it's not gonna be because of who you are, but it's gonna be because of who I am. And it's going to be because you have been following me. And we see this even play out when the church has started. And this guy named Paul is writing all these letters to the churches that he has started. And he's writing this letter of encouragement to one of his campus pastors. His name's Timothy. And Timothy's one of his, his mentees that he's raising up. And this is what he says. He says this in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says, yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer what? Persecution. Now, when you, when you do the, the kind of the, the Greek study on that, the word everyone pretty much means everyone. And it doesn't say that everyone who follows Jesus might experience persecution, could experience persecution. It says everyone who follows Christ Jesus will which means it is going to happen as we follow Jesus. And we talked about the first week that in order for us to live a devoted life, we have to live a consecrated life that is set apart from the culture around us. And as a result of living a consecrated life separate from the world around us, following after the ways of God, there are people that are not going to like that. And they're going to hate us for that. And so it's not that they're hating us because of who we are, but it's because of who we follow. And I got to thinking about this persecution and like, what's, what's the right way to frame it? And that for you and I who are following Jesus, persecution and suffering are amenities of following Jesus. Do you guys know what an amenity is? It's an amenity. It's, it's, it's like something when, when you're looking for the right hotel to go to. You want to make sure it has the right amenities. An amenity is something that, that completes your experience. And so if you're looking for that hotel, you want to make sure that it's got an indoor pool, not an outdoor pool, right? There's just something different about swimming indoors. You feel bougie when you get to swim indoors. You want a hot breakfast. You want early check-in. So we're looking for the hotels that, that have these amenities that are going to complete our experience at that hotel, right? Do we have any picky hotel people in the place, right? We get real picky in our family. We, we make sure it's got to have Wi-Fi. It's got to have all the things. But when we look at the Christian experience, according to Scripture, persecution and suffering is an amenity that completes our experience walking with Christ. But we don't want that. Jesus says it's a blessing. 
It's a completion of the promise. We do not want that, right? But it's something that we should be experiencing, and it could be from one extreme to the other. We see in, in, in the book of Acts that it starts with just a slap on the wrist, a slap on the hand, don't do that anymore. Then it escalates to imprisonment. Then it escalates to flogging, and then it escalates even further to where we see that, that Stephen is the first martyr, and he is stoned to death, not because he's this great preacher, but because he started out serving and had opportunities to share the gospel. And then we see that James, one of the apostles, one of the big three was executed, and on and on and on, and this guy named Saul is persecuting the church. And so it's a part of the early church experience and should be, I know we don't like to think that, but should be to some extent, a part of our experience. Now, I look at it being a part of our experience. Um, I want to read this in 1 Peter 4 through 14. I want to clarify why and how it should be a part of our experience to some degree. Peter writes this. He says, look, if you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed for the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. So it's a blessing because God's spirit rests upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be, so there's going to be other things we could suffer for, and it shouldn't be for these things. It shouldn't be for murder. It shouldn't be for stealing. It shouldn't be for making trouble or prying into other people's business. Mind your own business. He says, but it's no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for having the privilege of being called by his name. Now, before the next point is put on the screen, I think sometimes in our culture, modern culture, we think we're being persecuted or criticized for being a Christian when that's probably not the case, that it's more for our attitude because we should be persecuted for being devoted to Christ, not for being a jerk to people. That there are people, and maybe even at times I've experienced what I thought was persecution, but it really wasn't so much I was being devoted to Christ, but it's because I was being a jerk to somebody. And if we're not careful, we will confuse the two. When we are being devoted to the way of Christ, the way of Jesus, it's real hard to be a jerk to someone. Now, we are totally supposed to stand for the truth and speak to the truth, but time and time again in Scripture, we are told by Paul, we are told by Jesus that we are to speak the truth, how? In love, that we are to speak it gracefully and respectfully in a way that is offensive to the Spirit, because we're speaking to the Spirit on the inside of them, but not in a way that causes us to be seen as a jerk, right? Because when we are persecuted for bearing the name, it says the Spirit of God is on you. When we're persecuted for that, God gets the glory. When we're just having a bad attitude and being a jerk, standing on our soapbox, guess who's getting the glory? We're getting the glory. We're getting the attention. We're thinking, oh, I'm being persecuted, but you're really not. You're just being a jerk. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be a jerk. Okay, But if we truly are, now you will know the difference. If we truly are following Jesus, there will be persecution. Now, it's hard for us to, to picture comparing our experience of persecution here in America with the experience of persecution in developing countries. And it's completely different 
but we're still being persecuted. And when that happens, there's some benefits and blessings. Let's talk about what some of those amenities are, okay? Some of the amenities and blessings that, that come from being persecuted and being um, hated and mocked and excluded because of who we follow is the first is this persecution binds us to Christ. It binds us to Christ. He was persecuted. He was exiled. He was isolated. And he tells the disciples time and time again, this has happened to me. You can expect it to happen to you. And it says that Paul says that when we share in his suffering, what do we also get to share in? In his glory. That when we share in his suffering, we also get to share in his glory. When we experience it, it's the fulfillment of a promise that Jesus made for us. And the, not only does the suffering and persecution bind us to Christ, but it also binds us to each other as believers. It binds us to each other as believers. Paul says this in Hebrews 13. He says, remember, remember those that are in prison as if you were in chains as well. So it's not just think about them, they're in prison, but even though they're, like, they're in prison because we're a part of the same body, because we're a part of the same community, we're in prison with them. As they are being persecuted, remember them as though you are experiencing the pain within your body as well. Scripture says that we are all a part of the same body, that we can't disconnect, and we all belong to each other, that there's a commitment there. And, and one of our values here at Avenue Church is, is we grow stronger in community. And it's not just to get you to sign up for small groups. That when we go through things together, and I think maybe it was, it was C.S. Lewis that said, when we experience the same thing, the same mistreatment from the same people because of the same person being Jesus, we can't help but love each other. When we're experiencing the same persecution from the same people because we worship the same God, we can't help but have unity and love for each other. And there's this, there's this bit in Acts chapter 16 where, where Paul is preaching and it says an angry mob came and they stoned him and the guy that was with him and they thought he was dead and they like drug him outside the city and they left him for dead. And I love it, it says the scripture says that, that the believers gathered around him and it says, as they gathered around him, he got up stronger and went back into the city. As we face persecution, we know, you, you should know that you've got people standing with you, beside you, around you, behind you, that is standing strong with you, and it binds us closer to each other. Um, persecution also does this, and we don't like to talk about this part, but persecution strengthens and purifies and purifies the believer and the church, big C. And we saw some of this during COVID. That there have been church members and attendees that were at church pre-COVID, and regardless of party lines where you're at, that's not the point, but, but they were just kind of living not the sweet life of Zach and Cody. I have no idea what that popped in my mind. But, but, but they were kind of softly living the Christian life. They were enjoying the benefits with no commitment. And then when everything kind of shut down, it gave them an easy excuse. And there have been so many people that were shallow church members and believers that have not come back 
after COVID opened everything back up. Even that was just a little bit of persecution. But what happens is the church gets purified. And I found this quote. It's kind of lengthy, but I, I really want you guys to lean in and listen. It says this. It says, one of the greatest paradoxes in Christian history is that the church is most pure in times of cultural hostility. That when things are easy and good, that's when the church often most goes astray. When Christianity seems identical to the culture and even when the church seems to be enjoying its greatest earthly success, that is when the church is its weakest. Conversely, or on the other hand, when the church encounters hardship and persecution and suffering, then it is closest to its crucified Lord. Come on. That when we as believers and as, as a church body, when we endure that suffering, we're closest to our Lord, then there are fewer hypocrites and nominal or shallow believers among its members, and the faith of Christians burns most intensely. And look, I, I am a fan of the church. I love the country that we live in. I am grateful for every blessing and privilege and right that we have. But I have to say that I kind of agree with this statement just a little bit, that the more successful, like I want us as a church to succeed. I want us to be prosperous, but not in losing sight of what God has called us to, called us to live in and live for. And reading one of, the, one of the interviews of a missionary in China, and he said, what I found out, and he was a missionary in China for about 20 years, and he said, here's, here's what I found out. The church in America, the church in America has experienced prosperity and growth, but is growing weaker. In China, the church has experienced persecution and is growing stronger. Persecution is way better for the church than prosperity. But doesn't that go back to what Jesus says? Blessed are those who are persecuted because there's blessings in that, right? And so how do we look at this? Okay, you guys ready? Um, I'm trying to breathe a little life into you. It's like, oh, great. What do we talk about at church? Pastor said we're supposed to be persecuted, so I'm going to go and find somebody. No, like, it's, I believe, I believe it's, it's going to happen, and it may even be happening on some level in your life. Or maybe it already has and you didn't respond well. And I'm just thinking, like, I remember when I got saved, okay? I remember when I got saved in, in sixth grade. And I remember for a couple of days being excited about it and wanting to tell everyone what I had experienced. But then I remembered one of my friends telling me, man, stop talking about this. Nobody cares. Guess what I did? I stopped talking about it. Because I allowed it and was like, that's not really persecution. He was mocking me and making fun of me because of a decision I just made. Now, I've since grown through that and learned and all these things, but we will experience persecution on some level. And so we have to be prepared. Like, how are we going to stand in that? And as we stand in that, another thing happens is that the other blessing is that there is the, 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 the gospel grows. Lives are changed. Uh, persecution propagates the gospel. It spreads. Paul says this, that everything I've experienced, all this pressure, all this, all this abuse, all this persecution, it's for your benefits so that the grace of God may reach more people. And it's not the suffering and the persecution in and of itself that causes God's grace, 
but it is how we suffer and stand that people are like, how are, how are they doing that? Why are they standing on their beliefs? Why are they standing strong? Why are they doing this? As people see that, that is when the grace of God goes out. And so we look at suffering well. The first is this, okay? The first is this, is we have to come to an understanding that before we can withstand any kind of persecution, we have to trust God's word. Like we have to believe the promises that are in this. We're, if Jesus is saying, look, it, it's, it's a blessing for you to be persecuted and suffer. When the time comes in order for us to suffer well, we really have to believe that as a truth. When we preach that God causes all things to work together for the what? For the what? For the good of those who love him. Whether he caused it, he allowed it, or because of we're an idiot, we made a bad decision and we caused it, he can take our mess, whether we caused it, he caused it, or it just happened, he can take it and he can work it together for our good. We have to believe that while we're in the midst of suffering through persecution, no matter how minor or how extreme. Paul tells Timothy this. He says, listen, this, this scripture that you've learned, stay in practice with it, remember it. And he says, it's good for helping you in every good work. We have to believe God's promises are true, that his wisdom is good, that his protection is there. We have to believe that. Like that's a non-negotiable. If you're gonna stand in persecution, you have to believe God's word. Um, and then this one we've already kind of talked about is we have to rejoice in it. That just doesn't make sense to me at all. Like, why would we want to celebrate the fact that we're being made fun of because we're followers of Jesus? Why would we want to celebrate the fact that we're being ignored, that maybe we've lost our job, that maybe... You know, whatever has happened as a result of us, like that doesn't make sense. But when we celebrate that, we actually remove that as a weapon out of the enemy's hand and it strengthens us. And Jesus said, look, don't just celebrate. He says leap for joy. Like do a dance, do a happy, like, like get excited about it. That makes no sense. But we have to, we have to shift our perspective in that. And then we have to stand committed. We have to stand committed. 1 Peter 3, 14 says, he says, don't fear their threats. Talking about those that are threatening to persecute us. Don't fear their threats. Don't be afraid of what they can do. He says, instead do this. Worship Christ as Lord, which means just, just bear down. Like 10 toes down, stand your ground, regardless of what they say, regardless of, of what they threaten, continue to worship Christ as Lord. And that's not just on a Sunday morning. That's worship Christ in, as Lord with your attitude, with your actions, with your words, with how you treat people, how you withstand through trials as we're worshiping. And then it says, here's what will happen. People will ask for an answer for the hope that you have, not... Like they're, they're asking for a simple answer about the hope that you don't have to be able to explain all of scripture, memorize all of Romans, just be able to explain how are you withstanding and standing strong in this time of persecution. And then the last one is really probably going to be the hardest for all of us. And it's to pray for and bless those that persecute us. Like, and so we, we, we kind of graduate from the easier thing to the harder thing. And it's the harder thing that we will probably see the greatest results with God's grace going out. We pray for 
and bless those that persecute us. And so I found this, this really um, prominent scripture. It's Romans chapter 12, verse 14. It's really the, deep theologically. And it says this, bless those who persecute you. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't get any clearer than that. Don't curse them. Don't repay evil for evil. Jesus even says at times, like, we're to love our enemies. We're to serve them. If they ask us to do something to a point, we go the extra mile. Because when we serve those that persecute us, pray for those that persecute us, bless those that persecute us, we take the power out of their hands to do any damage to us. We put the power back in Christ's hand to do a work in their heart that we can't we can't do that. We can't imagine. And when we live this way, guys, the quote I read said that when we live this way, we are closer to our crucified Savior. Jesus' last moments on the cross, we will never experience persecution like him. From the words that were spoken about him being possessed by demons, the words that were spoken about him being the son of Mary, not giving his father any credit, from being saying nothing good comes from Nazareth, from saying that, you know, um, binding him, beating him, crucifying him, the crown of thorns, everything that he experienced is persecution beyond what you and I could ever imagine in our life. And some of his final words on the cross was what? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And those that are per persecuting you, making fun of you, leaving you out, excluding you, hating you. They really don't know what they're doing. They might, but they really don't. You know why? Because their heart is hardened and it's dark. If Jesus can look at the crowds that are chanting, crucify him, crucify him, knowing what they've done, thinking they know, and say, Father, forgive them, they really don't know what they're doing, then you and I, can look at those that come against us, not because we're being a jerk, but because we're following Jesus. And we can say, Father, forgive them. They really don't know what they're doing because they're really, can I say this? They're really not persecuting you. They're persecuting the Christ in you. They're not persecuting you. They're persecuting the Christ in you. Understand that. They don't know what they're doing. And that's just part of, of walking as a believer. And, and I want to read this Isaiah chapter 53, this was prophesied by the prophet, everything Jesus would experience. It says this, who's believed our message to whom the Lord revealed his powerful arm. My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. It's talking about Jesus. He was despised, he was rejected, he was a man of sorrow, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and we looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. Verse five says, but he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, 
like sheep have strayed away. We left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him all the sins. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was unjustly condemned. He was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong. He had never deceived anyone. He was buried like a criminal in a rich man's grave, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants and he will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hand in the last couple of verses. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. Jesus wasn't just persecuted for a good cause. He was persecuted for you and I. The truth that he spoke was the truth about you and I. The forgiveness that he offered was a forgiveness for you and I. Everything that he experienced in persecution, the weight of sin was laid on him. The suffering, the crushing was laid on him for you and I. And so when you and I experience just a little bit of that right now, and it's laid on us, it binds us closer to him. And our blessings come from that. God's grace is poured out on those around us. And so if you're here today, and, and here's what, what a relationship with Christ also does. We are all going to suffer in this world for some reason. There are gonna be people that don't like you for whatever reason. But when we are walking in relationship with Christ and people persecute and don't like us because of him, we give purpose to our suffering. We give purpose to our persecution that is greater than anything we could experience because we just have an opinion about something. The purpose comes from what's already been done. And so if you're here today and you do not have a relationship with Christ, maybe because you're afraid like I was, like I'm afraid of what people are gonna think about me if I become a Jesus follower, I become a Jesus freak. You guys remember DC Talk back in the day, right? What will people think when they find that I'm a Jesus freak? They will treat us differently. And maybe that's kept some of you here from making that decision is the fear of that. Scripture promises us that there is strength even in that. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to give you that opportunity if that's you today. And um, you are not walking in relationship with Christ for fear of what other people think. Scripture says that when we walk past that fear and out of that fear, and experience the mocking and the jeering that there is blessing that comes from that. If that's you today, you need a relationship with Christ. You've tried to do things on your own, but that's not worked out very well. And it's led to a life and feelings of shame and regret. I want to pray for you. And I want to invite you just to lift your hand and then you can put it right back down. You don't have to keep it there. Raising your hand doesn't save you. It simply acknowledges I need saving. And then we're going to pray together. If that's you, you can lift your hand and put it right back down. Awesome. Awesome. Now, as I'm praying, here's what I want to invite you to say. You're not going to repeat after me. If that's you today, just start with saying, Jesus, I give you my life. 
It's not all that's going to be said, but it's a start. That surrender, submission, repentance, all in one meaningful statement. And so, Father, we just come to you this morning. I thank you for what you are doing in our lives. God, that as we see in the book of Acts, how the church grows as they commit and devote themselves to one another, to you, and to a life of faith. There are miracles beyond measure, but there's also a life of suffering and persecution because of choosing not to live a part of the culture of this world. And God, for those that lifted their hands that are coming out of that, that are coming out of the world's way, those that are lifting their hearts that are coming out of the world's way and maybe they've had fear of how they would be treated by friends, God, I pray that that they would put their trust in you and you alone and knowing that you're gonna take care of them, that you're gonna go before them, you're gonna strengthen them, encourage them as they surrender their life to you today, Lord. That any shame or guilt they feel because of what they've done or how they view themselves is removed. Your word says that all those who are in Christ are a new creation. All the old is gone and all things are made new. And we thank you for that new start today, Lord. God, for those of us who follow you, God, let us experience, it's crazy to think, but let us experience the full measure of life with you. That maybe we've been afraid to speak up and share our faith in a way that is honoring, not a way that is belittling. But we've been afraid to speak up because we're afraid of people just speaking against us. God, I pray that we would have the boldness to share that that you are the Messiah, that you are the way, that you are the truth, and you are the life, and that we would see your power at work in that. So God, even this week, there would be divine moments and opportunities to share who you are in our life, to love people even when it's difficult, to challenge the cultural norm even when, when it's, it's hard. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.